Good afternoon, it's Dr. Andrew Matheson here with the Medical Sports Nutrition Podcast. Hope you're having a great week. It's uh, been a little while since catching up, so what I'm going to do this week is just run through a few things I've seen of interest over the last month that have uh, been ticking over in my brains just to share with you. Um, and then look at one really excellent article in particular, and then just cover a scenario which came up and which I think is worth just looking at probably the most useful article I found um, uh, for addressing that clinical situation. So uh, the first thing I'd seen was something on vitamin C. It was uh, an article about ITU patients uh, being given infusions of vitamin C, um, or the uh, uh, references will be on the Facebook page as normal. So this was looking at 827 patients who were given uh, a vitamin C infusion. Now, as you're aware, um, vitamin C and steroids have a long history of people trying to prove they're effective in ITUs. Uh, where this kind of dribbles down or um, to performance athletes is it just confirms that actually that there's more going on with these vitamin infusions um, than we like to kind of simplify when, when, when they're being sell, sold to athletes and when they're using them. A multifactorial influence on the immune system and on, on our patients. And it's demonstrated by art, articles like this where, yes, a different set of patients, unwell patients in ITU who were given a vitamin C infusion, actually had an increase in mortality. And it's just, just that pause and think when it comes to uh, recommending vitamin infusions for our athletes. Uh, as you know, big fan of uh, Rhonda Patrick and Found My Fitness and her breakdown of, of vitamin C absorption and the evidence is superb and I, I recommend it to anyone on uh, Found My Fitness. The next thing I saw was, uh, again, the reference will be on the Facebook page. It was just looking at the influence of sponsorship bias in uh, publications. And just a nice one, Just it was looking at cost analysis studies um, or how cost effective is something. And it was just saying, asking what's an obvious question and essentially confirming that what we would think is right is, is if you have sponsorship in a cost effectiveness study, then you will get bias towards that. So just usual thing when we're reading articles, quick Google of the authors, quick look at their declaration of interest. Um, it, it doesn't take long and it just allows us to kind of approach it from a, uh, a less naive point of view. Uh, the next one I saw that I thought was pretty interesting, again, more a medical than a uh, performance one. This was this was looking at the benefits of bariatric surgery, and it was a, a cohort of the uh, Medicare bariatric patients. But it was it was such an impressive number that I thought it were worth mentioning. So this was in the the Journal of American College of Cardiology, and it was over four year follow up a forty percent reduction in mortality, incidence of heart failure and myocardial infarction. So this is probably more for those lapsed athletes or um, for those of you that tend to work with people who are sort of struggling with their weight. It, there should be better ways than bariatric surgery, but my goodness, it is very effective. And we always come back to this and say, um, we, we probably just need to get beyond these very traditional uh, ideas of no you need to you need to figure out this on your own actually people don't just put it back on it does prevent 
deaths, especially in, in older people who may struggle to take the approaches such as dietary change and exercise that we would otherwise hope for, um, it is a really effective intervention. Um, another one that was was interesting, again, just not so much for our population, and, and unless you're um, or certainly if, you're, um, if you've got some uh, para-athletes, uh, this one might be for you. So it's just looking at ketogenic diets. Now, ketogenic diets, uh, as we're all, as we're all aware of the, the history of, of where they went, what drove our, the sort of scientific research and probably still does to a big extent is how effective they are in drug-resistant epilepsy in children. Um, and this was looking at ketogenic diets for MS. Um, and it looked at 65 people um, in a uncontrolled, but a six month ketogenic dietary intervention. Now they saw fat mass decline, not too surprising, but improvements in fatigue and depression and in the measures of neurological disability. So this was in the Journal of Neurology and Neurosurgical Psychiatry. Um, and one of those ones where fasted diets for cancer, the ketogenic diets for a real variety of illnesses. Um, there's, there's obviously lots lots you can read around about why they think these 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 diets seem to be effective, but um, that's a, a certainly a, a, an interesting one there. Uh, the next one was again slightly slightly random. So this was a this was an age and aging uh, journal. And this was looking at using erectile dysfunction as um, a kind of marker for testosterone. And in what got me interested in this, so this was essentially showing that men with erectile dysfunction have higher mortality. Now, there's not something anything particularly surprising about that. We know erectile dysfunction is a, a marker for cardiovascular disease. And, and the first thing is any doctor would ask uh, any guy over 40 coming in with erectile dysfunction is going to be about his family history of, of cardiac problems. But what this pointed out and what this had found, which was was good because it made me kind of, sort of go and, and start thinking through my testosterone measuring and how we do it in the UK and what other options are, they found that the total testosterone levels were similar to group, but they found free testosterone levels were lower in those who died. Um, and what the article I found most useful for, for kind of reminding myself about this wasn't actually the, the sort of the the BASH guidelines, which are kind of the ones that we all, all sort of work off in the UK. It, it was actually it was in uh, the uh, uh, JSEX Med 2016 challenges in testosterone measurement, data interpretation, and methodological appraisal of interventional trials. In just a, a nice breakdown of the challenges of measuring testosterone level, the different ways of doing it, and the kind of summary for me essentially boiled down to. Um, Yes, free testosterone is probably more effective, but because it's done so much less and it's so much more expensive, there's not the kind of standardization that we're now starting to really see into total testosterone levels. Um, and it just went through the kind of the, the sort of developing methods of measuring testosterone, um, the, the issues with the timing and 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 the and how how to sort of think about the levels that, that you're reading. So um Again, really nice just breakdown of, of the things we just need to have at the back of our head when we're looking at them. These results aren't as clear-cut as we would like them to be or, or that the guidelines would, would suggest. Um, 
So, and then the next one, so this was just looking at vegetables. Um, so, it was talking about carotenoids. Now, talking about, started off by just, so this is in diabetes care. And when we say carotenoids, most of you are going to think, right, antioxidants, carrots, things like that. Um, good for mortality. Uh, but again, just... Just, just challenging, especially that kind of idea that more is better. So they found that people in the highest quarter of the distribution of C or beta carotene concentrations actually had double the risk of cardiovascular disease. And I think I've seen something similar to that that before. Um, and yes, obviously there's a lot of confounding factors for why people's diets and why people might have higher levels. But the sort of takeaway is um, everything, everything in moderation. Um, the next one is, was a UK biobank study, um, so I'll just pull that one up. So this was UK biobank, uh, we've talked about that cohort uh, a fair bit in the past, huge cohorts, this was 170,000 um, in this, and this was looking at sugar sweetened versus artificially sweetened versus sweetened uh, coffee. And it was published in Annals of Internal Medicine, and it's Association of Sugar Sweetened, Artificially Sweetened, Unsweetened Coffee Consumption with All Cause and Cause Specific Mortality. And it was first off of Louis, last off of Zhang. They essentially found that there was less cancer and less cardiovascular disease in sugar and sh sugared coffee or non-sweetened coffee with moderate consumption. So does coffee reduce cardiovascular disease and cancer? Yes, so that's essentially as long as you're not going over the top and starting to give yourself dysrhythmias, it does. That's what we'd expect. Does sugared coffee still have the same effect? Yes, although you'd expect it to start kind of losing that mortality benefit, actually the benefit of the coffee is enough to, to actually keep it. So even though you're adding sugar and should be giving yourself diabetes, you're still getting benefit in that moderate band, not having loads and loads of coffee, but having a reasonable amount. They didn't really find it in the artificially sweetened one. And that's the bit I think I find really interesting because it comes back to every um, product that seems is a caffeinated product that isn't a coffee seems to be full of artificial sweeteners. And actually, you don't get the benefit of the coffee. Now, is the benefit from the caffeine? Is it from something else? I don't know, but should we be encouraging our athletes to drink coffee rather than these caffeine beverages because there's a mortality benefit and they don't have to have the artificial sweeteners in there? Um, certainly, uh, everything that I always come across about artificial sweeteners seems to be pretty negative, so um, I know which way I, I lean on that one. The next article was um, from Stuart Phillips' group. It's called Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis of Protein Intake to Support Muscle Mass and Function in Healthy Athletes. Uh, and this was a, a meta-analysis and meta-regression to see if increasing daily protein uh, contributed to lean body mass, muscle strength, and, and physical performance. And what I really took away from this is that there's, there's a... Meta-analysis are great, but only if the articles they're looking at are half-decent. And essentially this just added to the um, my view that there's just no half-decent 
articles. And that's essentially what they they said, is that the quality of the articles wasn't enough to, to show the effect they expected, but they didn't think this was a problem with the science, this is a problem with the data that's there. Now, I think um, there's now, uh, on Found My Fitness Online, an interview with um, uh, Stuart Phillips and Rhonda Patrick, and it's on my uh, to-do list to listen to that when doing some some long driving this weekend. So um, I'll be really interested to see if they cover that and, and how he, he talks about how they approached it and where the way forward is. Um, the next article um, we'll move on to is actually the, the most interesting one I found. So the, the, the actual article was, uh, I'll just pull it up here, it was called um, Associations of Dietary Cholesterol, Serum Cholesterol and Egg Consumption with Overall and Core Specific Mortality, Systematic Review and Updated Meta-Analysis. And um, it, it's a group that for a number of years has been kind of banging on about the, the evils of cholesterol and, and eggs and essentially eggs are going to kill you. And um, whilst, whilst it, was, it was a really interesting article and, and they concluded much as they had before that eggs are still going to kill you, what actually I found off it that was most interesting was an editorial in circulation that I thought was probably... You always wish you could write in a, in a certain way and your brain was able to, to sort of describe what's wrong with, with studies in a particular way. And this, this editorial is amazing. It just, it just hits the nail on the head and says it how, how I think we all would wish we could explain it to people. So the editorial is called, What Exactly Are We Asking Here? Unscrambling the Epidemiology of Eggs, Cholesterol and Mortality by Deirdre Tobias. And so starts with a little bit of background, mentions about where this study comes from. So this is this, um, I think, a huge Finnish cohort. It's the ATBC uh, cohort. Uh, yeah, Finnish male smokers started in the 1980s, 480,000 of them, uh, huge sort of data cohort. And the first bit for me that is, okay, Finnish men, not, not generally in my head the most unhealthy people. And what the editorial points out that's, that makes most of, of the, the articles we read so challenging is is here they're, they're saying here eggs are eggs worse for you and what the editorial says is you can't ask that question you've got to ask the question of are eggs worse than you than x or y because whenever you take an intervention and you try to work sort of work through it you have to look at it as though this was a sort of randomized controlled trial otherwise you can't use the data um, correctly. So are eggs better than something else? Because if we're looking at the effect of eggs, we must be comparing it against something else they're doing. Now, in this trial, they controlled for overall calories. So we know that what they found is that for some people in this trial, eating more eggs was less healthy than something else that they were eating instead that gave them the same total calories. And that's where the interesting idea of well, who are these people and what sort of diet did they have um, and what, what can we take it from there? And, and that's the key one. So it's probably not the eggs that are a, a key here, but what were we comparing it to? And in the editorial, and I won't spoil it because I, re I really recommend uh, reading it just breaks down into the sorts of things that they might actually be comparing against and then breaks into okay and then what effect that has and actually when you tease the data out sometimes 
Eggs are a better thing than eating other things. Sometimes they're a worse thing. In some groups they're a better thing, in some groups they're a worse thing. Um, so we, we love a headline and eggs are bad for you is uh, very easy to, to rattle off and tell people um, and then other people will disagree and point out flaws in, in it. But the, the, the way actually we should approach it is it's, it, it's not, that's not what we're showing here. We're comparing things, um, and it's one against another, and you have to have to dig into that. So, um, yeah, super article, and, and definitely the best thing I, I, I've read in a while. Um, the final thing I wanted to touch on was had uh, a discussion about uh, patients who collapse, and it reminded me of an excellent article that I've been discussing with one of my. Uh, junior doctors. It's called Managing Collapse to a Seriously Ill Participants of Ultra-Endurance Events in Remote Environments. Uh, and for me, it's, it's a really excellent place to start when you've got collapsing athletes. Um, the, and there's the kind of temptation with, with, with collapsing to just, especially for us, just to jump into the nutrition or the hydration and, and move into the straight into the areas that we feel most comfortable. Um, and it's just really important just to state back and say, actually, there's, there's got to be a, a process here. And, and if you have got an, a patient that has um, a collapse, first of all, in, in the article breaks it down really nicely. Is this just, oh, I was running, I then stopped and then I had a collapse? Or is this a collapse during running? Uh, and why it's so important to delineate the two. And then once you've done that, what you can, what you can do next. Um, so I uh, definitely recommend it. was published in Sports Medicine in 2014. So uh, that's all for me, I think. Let's just have a look at my slightly scrappy bit of paper today. I um, hope you've all had a good month. Hope you're managing to get plenty of exercise. And I will chat soon.